the initial feedback we got from people was that it was worth us exploring. So we we got started and I guess at each stage, we just felt that there were sufficiently encouraging signs that it was uh, worth carrying on. And that meant that we quit our jobs, that we um, went out to try and I guess, well, that we put in some of our savings and then that we went out to try and raise money from angel investors to to back the business and enable us to start doing some marketing and start building a team. And it sort of went on from there. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring, educating, and connecting the startup community to help you make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin Mentor and founder of Startup U, the regional delivery partner for Virgin Startup. Each episode provides the story of an entrepreneur who talks us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, with the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, Go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup You. Welcome to episode 90 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I speak to Aaron Gelbart, founder of Bloom and Wild. So how do you fit a Christmas tree through a letterbox? It might sound like a bad cracker joke or the premise for a festive TV film, but it's the real-life problem of Aaron Gelbard of Bloom and Wild, a startup that arranges flowers in boxes to be delivered through the standard UK letterbox. Since launching in 2013, Bloom and Wild has mastered letterbox flowers. They tried an orchid plant, they tried letterbox wreaths, but the tiny Christmas trees really took off. Aaron likes to think of himself as a letterbox innovator, always coming up with new ideas. And he credits their success to the stream of new ideas. Bloom and Wild will overtake Interflora within the next four or five years, according to Aaron. It's been named the second fastest growing business in the UK after Deliveroo by Deloitte. And the company's attracted more than £7 million in funding and now expanded into Germany, France and Ireland over the last year. So really enjoyed my conversation with Aaron. Really enjoyed the flowers that unexpectedly arrived in my letterbox the day after. A really nice touch indeed. Before we dive into my chat with Aaron, I'd just like to let you know that it is event week. We are back on after a summer break. Uh, This Saturday, the 13th of October, we are live in Bournemouth with 17 speakers, including former Dragon Piers Linney. And then on October the 30th, we are in London with six incredibly cool food and drink startups. And then on November the 27th, in collaboration with Virgin Atlantic, which I'm incredibly proud to say, given I worked for them for 16 years, uh, we're going to be live in Manchester with um, Piers Linney again. But Piers is going to be hosting um, a Scale Your Startup event with a bunch of really cool um, startup businesses. So more of that on another um, post. And if you'd like to find some more information, simply go to startupu.co.uk forward slash events, where you can buy tickets to all of those events. Just use the um, 
the word screw it just do it uh, all lowercase um, into the promotion box and that will get you 20% off a ticket uh, for those listeners to the podcast so without further ado back to my chat with Aaron from Bloom and Wild let's start up what did you do post leaving school to university as I understand it like like many of us, you're not using the degree that you um, you went set out to do at university. That's right. I studied French and German at university. Uh, I loved learning languages um, as a teenager and was, uh, I guess, really excited about being able to do that for my degree and being able to spend a year abroad in France and Germany uh, in the middle of my studies. I didn't really use my languages very much Um at any point after that as I I got into the world of work and I guess they've been somewhat useful um, at Bloom and Wild because we've launched our business in Germany and France uh, over the last year and so just having some language skills I'm nowhere near as fluent as I was when I left university 14 years ago but I still remember some of my German and my French and that's been really helpful for checking translations, uh, being able to read press coverage, even being able to do a couple of press interviews uh, in the languages. So uh, it's been at least a little bit helpful. And how far along were you, or was it always part of the plan that you were going to launch in different countries, or initially was it you only saw the UK immediately in front of you, or was that always part of the bigger plan? I guess when we started, we didn't really think uh, about uh, international. We were just focused on trying to get our business off the ground. And so we were focused on UK to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then as we started to see the business uh, take off in the UK and just get really positive uh, customer feedback and start to grow, we also started to see people uh, request more and more whether we'd be able to Uh, fulfill orders internationally which we weren't able to do Mm. and then I guess as we got more and more of these requests we started to think well maybe we should look at international and it sort of uh, made its way organically onto our roadmap. Okay and what led you initially from university to then setting up this business how much of a lull was there in in the world of work before you, you set this up which I believe was five years ago correct? Yeah so I worked as a consultant with retail consumer products and tech companies, and I guess I learned a lot from doing that. It was uh, great to work with some really leading businesses in those spaces. I became interested in the, uh, I guess, meeting point of those those three industries and in some of the direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands that were emerging. And it made me wonder whether I might be able to start my own business. My dad's an entrepreneur, both my granddads were entrepreneurs. So it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to start something one day. But mm. I I guess I never really had the right idea. And then from working um, with retail and tech companies, uh, I started to understand e-commerce more. And that was part of what brought me to starting Bloom and Wild. Okay. I'm always, always interested to know because my, my, my eldest daughter, um, who's just started secondary school now, she, as part of her, her last year in primary school, um, had to come up with an idea um, and then get together with a bunch of people. And um, it's quite entrepreneurial in that I, I, I thought, from Virgin Money gave them all five pounds, basically, every every child. And the idea was that you would um, 
you know, make back at least five pounds, but they've made, you know, a couple of hundred pounds. But I'm always interested to know, you know, at what point in time is that idea planted into your head that you don't have to go on to become, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, et cetera, et cetera. I guess from my perspective, it wasn't a question of not having to do it. And actually, I did start out in uh, in that space and well, I was a management consultant, so it wasn't quite a doctor or a lawyer, but I, I did go down the sort of milk round route when mm. I left university. And to be honest, on the one hand, I learned a lot from it. On the other hand, I didn't really know that there were any other options when I was graduating in 2004. Yeah. There wasn't really the startup boom that there is now. And I guess we were encouraged at university to go to graduate careers fairs and, you know, all of the companies there were consulting firms or banks or law firms or sort of blue chip companies like P&G. And I think those companies give a great training, but that was sort of presented as the only option, really. Yeah, I and agree. And I think that I, I wasn't sort of... Um, like mature enough, confident enough um, to start my own business um, out of university, and I also needed to earn some money. So I don't think I'd have um, I'd have done it directly then. Mm. But and I and I see a lot of benefit in doing consulting for a few years. But I'd have liked to at least have had the option of going to work at a, a startup and and sort of learn by getting my hands dirty. I guess I was aware of it from family background that you can sort of start a business, but it always felt like something for sort of much more experienced grown-ups rather than something for <laughs> me when I was a student. Yeah, no, I, I, I could relate to that. And and what's the, the reaction been from, from your side of the family then when you decided to um, go all in on starting your own business? My, it's interesting. I think my parents are both proud of me that I've done so, and also a little uh, risk averse on my behalf. My dad's <laughs> had his ups and downs um, over, you know, I guess now uh, fifty years or so of entrepreneurship, and you know, he's uh, he's seen how difficult it can be. So he often uh, alerts me to what might go wrong, um, yeah. you know, out of care and out of his own experience of mm. um, uh, of mistakes he's made or things that haven't worked out for him in his career. I think um, for my mum, you know, she isn't an entrepreneur herself, but her dad was. Uh, and so similarly, she's sort of seen it firsthand and just wants to make sure that I'm sort of uh, not going to get taken advantage of by people I deal with, that I'm protecting myself. I think it's just sort of like a protective parental uh, style, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and at what point did you, or how did you come about um, starting the business? Was it coming coming to it from a, a solving a problem point of view? Was it coming from a, a passion for the industry? I guess it wasn't really a passion for the floristry industry directly. It was more a passion for doing something that was going to please people at a large scale day to day. That's I've always been like a pleaser and it's been really important to me to sort of get that positive feedback and reinforcement from, from an early age. Um, and I think mm. to start with that when I was at school or university or my first couple of jobs, that made me want to do a good job and get a good 
score report or grades or, or good, um, you know, feedback from my manager or a good, um, you know, end of year uh, review or whatever it was. But then that started to become a bit more unfulfilling and I wanted to do something where I was going to get feedback from real customers every single day. And I'm very motivated by positive feedback and I'm actually very motivated by negative feedback as well and by understanding what we've not done right and how to improve it. Uh, and yeah. so that, that sort of that plus my interest in sort of uh, branded e-commerce pushed me towards I guess considering this sort of model mm-hmm. and over time so I, I guess I, I sort of looked at a few things but I was interested in flowers because it feels like a really emotive purchase and it felt like nobody was doing it very well yeah and so I wondered whether it would be possible to do a few things differently firstly to sort of really use technology which I was interested in and had learned a little bit about to try and simplify the flower buying experience mm-hmm. secondly I know um, the guy that runs Gray's, the snack box company from university. So I was um, really interested in how they'd evolved as a business and uh, in, I guess, the the concept of sending things through the letterbox. And so that made me wonder whether it would be possible to do flowers through the letterbox and solve some Mm. of the, the delivery pain point of people needing to be at home to receive them. And then my business partner, Ben, had separately looked at the flower supply chain, which is really inefficient. Mm-hmm. And and had learned just how many middlemen the average flower passes through between being cut in a field somewhere and getting to um to the kitchen table where it's going to um sort of spend its useful life before dying. And mm. he wondered whether it'd be possible to um sort of modernize the supply chain and form relationships direct with flower growers and therefore get flowers to customers both um, less expensively for them um, and also flowers that would last longer. And and so those were really the building blocks. And you never really know until you start. And I guess there may have been a better idea out there. I'm sure, that, I'm sure there would have been if we'd sort of, you know, agonized for another year. But it, it felt good enough. And the initial feedback we got from people was that it was worth us exploring. So we, we got started and I guess at each stage, we just felt that there were sufficiently encouraging signs that it was uh, worth carrying on. And that meant that we quit our jobs, that we um, went out to try and I guess, well, that we put in some of our savings and then that we went out to try and raise money from angel investors to to back the business and enable us to start doing some marketing and start building a team. And it sort of went on from there. Okay. And um Interesting um, that you, you, when you mentioned Grays, because I've certainly invested a, a fair amount of my own money over the years into in, into that business. Um, with fantastic business, love it, and, and now um, you, you obviously see it in 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 shops pretty much everywhere. Um, it's kind of moved away from uh, or, or increased the the business model that that they had with the delivery only. Um, was that when when you when you looked at solving the problem? Was it looking at business models that were already out there and th- thinking, I don't need to invent the wheel here. There's already people out there doing what I want to do. I just want to do it in a, in a different space. Yeah, I, I guess it's always a sliding scale on the, like, are you reinventing the, the wheel or not? And we've, um, we have tried to do something a bit differently to others. So I feel like we haven't just, we aren't a copycat business. There's nobody else that's no. gone. Well, there, are, there are now, but at the time there wasn't anybody else doing what we were mm-hmm. doing. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think, you know, we haven't like invented a robot that, uh, I don't know, like 
cooks your dinner or something that doesn't exist at the moment yet. And and I think there's a sliding scale of um, of level of innovation. And this felt like it was new and innovative and, and sort of responded to mm. a real pain point for senders who find it difficult to order flowers um, from their mobile phones and to recipients who um, needed to be at home to receive them, um, but also mm. built on like an existing behavior and was something that we'd be able to figure out how to solve ourselves. Yeah, and you certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, have disrupted your industry. Um, I'd, I'd say even from you know where I'm standing, let alone from from where you're looking from the inside out. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean that's been our goal, I guess. Um, you know, we haven't really sort of set out to disrupt an industry or to um, cause like trouble to other competitors um, in our space, and that's not no. really how we think about the business. Um, so I, I sort of I worry a bit about the the concept of disrupt as like eating somebody else's lunch, and uh, mm. I've got nothing but respect for what other people in in the flower business do. I think there are lots of um, good business models out there. There are um, some businesses are really well set up to do same day delivery, um, which in a way that we're not. Some uh, businesses are um, set up for you to be able to walk into a shop and choose your flowers. Some businesses are set up well to sort of do your wedding. Those are all things that we aren't able to do. So I think there's um, there are lots of different applications of flowers, and um, we've tried to sort of pick our space and and I guess spot an unmet uh, need for consumers and recipients to make sending flower gifts the joy that it should be and really focus on that. And, and it's been much more about that customer need for us than about uh, disrupting the industry. Mm. Well, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with the the new uh, VP of customer experience on, on Virgin Atlantic in London um, in the summer. And he was saying that they had recently, he was like all over this, he, he had conducted some research um, and it was something like um, on a daily basis on every single Virgin Atlantic flight leaving somewhere uh, to a destination in the world, um, it was 18% of people on each aircraft and you can kind of do the numbers you know by 40 50 aircraft whatever it would be um was celebrating something um be that yeah yeah it was within three days of leaving that flight they were celebrating either a birthday a wedding anniversary um so they were thinking of what ways could they actually you know take advantage of this monetize this but more so in 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 bringing added value to that customer journey. Um, so be that having some form of way of ordering flowers that somebody gets that, you know, where they get the other end of the destination or whether even they were thinking that gets handed to somebody on the plane. Because um, at the moment, I think all they've ever had from my recollection was, you know, getting a birthday cake, like a mini birthday cake ordered on board the plane. But if you think the numbers involved in that and multiply that by however many other airlines that's probably given you something to think about but um an interesting line of thought to kind of uh, follow through to the logical conclusion i think yeah it's super interesting we've um, we've we've never worked with an airline directly um it's uh, your ideas are a really interesting one and i guess uh, flowers are gifted for celebrations and and travel especially leisure travel um is probably often for a celebration as well so we'll definitely look into mm. that one more we we have tried to work with um 
with businesses in other spaces though so for example we work with a number of um, luxury travel companies who um, who send our flowers to welcome uh, their clients um, home after they've gone on a uh, let's say a more expensive uh, holiday and uh, Mm. check to make sure that they've had a good experience and see whether they'd like to book another holiday or something like that we do that with both our flowers and with our mini christmas trees through the letterbox which um people have started to order now for for christmas this year at, oh, yeah they're, they're sort of it's amazing it's sort of still sunny september, it's september but that's peak <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. corporate gifting uh time of year uh, okay so yeah uh, i think just thinking creatively about um sort of how businesses are doing their CRM and trying to delight their customers and whether we have a role to play in that has certainly been um, worthwhile for us and I think has um, has enabled uh, businesses that we work with to do something more innovative and exciting for our customers. So we'd love to do more of that. And um, yeah, mm. it would uh, obviously be keen to work with Virgin on that as well. Yeah, I have to, I have to give you an intro. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> No, no problem. Um, and it, it, I was going to talk about that anyway, but would you like to tell us a little bit about where the idea for the for the mini Christmas trees came from, and and how you how long it took to develop that and actually roll that out? It actually, this is really rare at Bloom and Wild, um, but this one actually came from me. Most ideas come from other people on our team who are much more creative than me. Um, Right. I, I guess after um, flowers working, I initially wondered if we could do a, an orchid through the letterbox. That was the first plant we did because they're quite flat, and I thought we could separate the soil and then have a, a soft okay. canvas pot that with a little disc that the recipient could put at the bottom of it to sort of make it stand up properly. And we started selling mm. that product. It, it wasn't super popular, but it worked. Um, it worked fine, and. Um, you know, it, it arrived in good condition. And I guess once I sort of knew that we could do a plant through the letterbox um, and solve the problem of the pot and the soil and the sort of making the pot, uh, you know, structurally solid on arrival, I started mm. to think about what other products um, we might be able to do in the same way. And, and, you know, it was sort of summer, so we were in our business. That means we start to think about Christmas a few months in advance. And it just felt like it was yeah. worth trying, really. And so we um, we gave it a go. And um, it, the reaction was really positive. We sold out really quickly. And so um, then the next year we did more trees. And then last year it was our third year of trees. And we did more still. And we... Um, We've got a whole forest uh, growing for this year, um, so we're we're really excited about um, about this year's tree. We've also then branched out into other plants. I guess you know people really love the concept of letterbox flowers, so we've um, started to think about whether we can do more plants more generally. So we do ferns and um, cacti and rose plants and azalea plants seasonally, and and a number of other plants um, that also fit through the letterbox. And actually, it just means. Um, something slightly different for our customers and people seem to really appreciate them as an option. Mm. And do you know um, what sort of percentage of the business is, is um, through like the letterbox delivery now? Oh, 90% is letterbox. It's, uh, it's, is a, it really? majority. Wow. it's a little lower in yeah. international um, markets where letterboxes aren't the same shape. And so we don't have the letterbox, what we know is the letterbox product in the UK is available in our international markets. So in Ireland, obviously, it works the same as in the UK, but in Germany and France, um, they don't have the same shape letterboxes. So we position it as a creative flower box there. It's not 90%, mm-hmm. but it's still the vast majority of what we do in those markets. I think people really love the product, not just because of the functional benefit of it fitting 
of it fitting through the letterbox, but also because it gives the recipient a creative activity to do. It means that the flowers arrive in bud and so they are fresher and last longer. And it's just a little novel and different. So I think there are a number of additional benefits on top of the letterbox functional angle. Mm-hmm. And and talking about like the forest with the Christmas trees, when, when you were starting up, um, how challenging was it with regards to sourcing for the business? Or was that a relatively easy thing to find through the internet these days? It was not easy, but not impossible. I guess um, if we'd just been starting, we'd have probably not known what to do, but we have to source all sorts of things. Um, We have to source, you know, ribbon and cellophane and uh, netting for flower heads, um, which Mm. we use to protect and compress them and all sorts of other stuff like that already for our flower products. So we're... I guess over the years we've learned um, a little more about how to source our type of products, and so we we knew where to start on the Christmas trees. And um, with regards, interested to know on the on the technology front as well. Um, do you know now what what percentage of of orders come through the app that you've developed? Yeah, about twenty percent of orders come through the app. The, okay. Interestingly, though, people who download our app um, are much more loyal to us than people who haven't downloaded our app. And we find that they um, they repeat a lot more. And when we ask, um, they they tell us that they, they'd be much less likely to sort of shop around at another flower company. So we try to make the app as brilliant as possible to sort of, uh, um, mm. you know, keep our customers loyal and make sure we're giving them the best possible experience. I think an app makes a ton of sense for um for a business like ours because there's so much information you have to enter into websites time and again and it's a bit fiddly to do on a mobile phone so you know why do you need to retype in your your credit card when you can use apple pay why do you need to retype in your email address when you can uh, log Mm. in with a facebook login button why do you need to retype in your mum's address every time you're sending her flowers when you can save it (laughs) in your address book all sorts of stuff Mm. like that and so and given that people are shopping on their mobiles anyway, I do think that apps make it better by taking friction out of that customer journey and making it easier for customers. And so did you see quite a quick return on your investment by uh, the investment in that technology quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, we continue to invest in it. So it wasn't a one-off investment where we have uh, no. three full-time app developers. So we're improving our app all of the time. And so there's an ongoing investment, but we see it as something that is definitely worth doing given the... Uh, proportion of our volume that it accounts for and when you started building the team because as i understand it you you grew pretty quickly um what sort of um thoughts were running through your head with regards to being able to to fund that growth did you look at angels did you look at vcs loans what kind of funding options were available (laughs) anybody that would uh, give us money (laughs) Um, uh, to begin with um Ben and I um, did a loan to the company out of our very limited savings, and that was um, which we've never taken back. So that that's sort of still in, and that was um, how we got started. Um, mm. And then, as we once we launched, we um, we tried to raise money. So we um, initially um, raised money through angel um, funding. We we sort of tried to network and meet angel investors um, through our contacts and you know their contacts. And our our first two funding rounds um, were through angel um, investment. And then um, as we got a bit bigger um, and tried to raise a bigger amount, um, we were raising two and a half million pounds. We we started to go out and pitch the business to VCs and 
we've now raised two rounds of VC funding um, in addition to our um, angel funding. Okay. And um, what does uh, anything that you're working on that excites you at the moment? Um, you already, as I understand, planning for Christmas and then come Christmas, I guess you're already looking at Valentine's Day and things like that. But um, what, what kind of things are you working on that excites you, like future plans? Loads. So it's actually where we're already something about Christmas next year and we have to plan really far ahead. So wow. we planned out Christmas, <laughs> Valentine's, Mother's Day, um, range sourcing, um, a lot of the marketing um, and brand work's already planned out. Um, I'm excited about our international expansion. We're, our business is growing really quickly in Germany and France and Ireland, and I, I hope it will continue to grow quickly and we'll uh, consider launching in further countries around um, Europe as well. I'm also um, really excited about some of the brand collaborations we're doing. At the moment, we're doing a collaboration with Liberty London. Uh, so mm. you can... Uh, order um, bouquets that are inspired by li original Liberty Print designs and the bouquets come in a Liberty Print box that matches the flowers cool. in the bouquet. It's really cool. Um, they've mm. uh, they started really well. They're all over Instagram. And um, yeah, it's just really exciting to sort of uh, see where we can get to with, with brilliant creative like this. Mm. Well, um as I mentioned earlier, this this podcast is now in eighty seven countries, and for some reason unknown to me, um, obviously got the UK, America, Australia, and then it's Germany. So that's that's a good thing. Um, if we're given that you're 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 uh, in in France and Germany now as well, so what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you, to connect with you and the brand? Thank you for asking. Um, we can uh, be found at bloomandworld.com or you can find any of our international sites there, but we also have bloomandworld.fr and bloomandworld.de and .ie for Ireland. We are um, on all social platforms with Bloom and World on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so those are the best ways to contact us. And then you can also uh, phone us. Uh, our phone number is uh, on our website, and we're always happy to speak to customers, um, answer questions, hear feedback, uh, etc. And download the app from the App Store. And download. I should have said, download <laughs> the app from the App Store or the Play Store. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron, this morning. It's really, really appreciated. I know you're incredibly busy by the sound of it, so um, I wish you all the very best, and thank you once again for your time. Thanks very much, Alex. Lovely to chat this morning. So before I um, chat a little bit about my interview with Aaron, I'd just like to reflect on a post um, from one of our guest speakers coming up, Piers Lenny, former investor on Dragon's Den and non-executive director of the British Business Bank, which supplies startup loans of which um, we are the regional delivery partner. So uh, a lot uh, of connections there. Uh, another one being, if you look at Piers' um, post on his social media, LinkedIn, um, today, which is when I'm recording these intros and outros, Tuesday the 9th of October, um, Piers has taken a picture of him sitting in the back of a safari jeep with Richard Branson um, in close to Ulusaba, um, Richard's spectacular private game reserve in Kruger National Park, South Africa. So Piers had donated to Richard's charity, Virgin Unite, and joined a trip to the Branson Centre of Entrepreneurship in South Africa in, in Johannesburg, where he met with entrepreneurs, including some based in Soweto, before flying on to Ulusaba. 
So at the time, he was being called daily by the producers of Dragon's Den as he was still undecided about becoming a dragon following a brief experience, he says, with, with slight celebrity after appearing on Channel 4's The Secret Millionaire. Pierce says it was patently obvious that he was with possibly the best person on this earth to ask about media, profile and the interrelationship with business. So he asked Sir Richard for a private conversation and sought his advice. He reminded Piers of the power of TV, the downside of fame, that he should be himself and that he used to travel for a good TV spot across the world. He shared a few relevant experiences and then advised Piers, of course, to screw it, just do it. And that's exactly what Piers did. So as he, say, as he says, reach out to people you respect with relevant knowledge as you'll be surprised how many people want to help. Don't be shy, screw it, just do it. Funnily enough, that's exactly what I did um, when looking for guests for our live events and also for this podcast. Um, if you just reach out, you'll be amazed at who says yes and the amazing opportunities that come your way. Piers said yes to, to my request, uh, just like Richard said yes to his. Um, likewise, Aaron Gelbard saying yes to coming on the podcast and also to um, interested in speaking at future events in 2019 as well. So, you know, really, really don't be shy. Reach out, get out from behind computer screen, um, speak to people, connect with people, come to a live event, speak to people. Um, if you must hide behind your computer, then use tools such as LinkedIn, um, which I've used very successfully um, with regards to guests for, for the events and the podcast and just connecting with people I respect um, whose skills and knowledge are in areas that, that I don't have. Um, and just another takeaway from, from the chat with Aaron is um, get feedback every step of the way, um, be that initially from, from family and friends and, and then from customers. Don't be afraid to, to reach out and ask them what they think of your, your product or service. And look at the industry you're in um, or one that you're interested in getting into and, and write down all of the problems, the challenges that you have in that industry or, or what you perceive from the outside looking into that industry um, and work out what solutions you can provide. As, as Aaron said, you're not going to be able to provide all of them, but there'll be something in there um, where you can you can innovate, where you can potentially disrupt what's already out there. Um, disrupt in a good way, um, I mean, uh, instead, of, instead of moaning about it, <laughs> You know, have a look at where you can you can solve problems. Um, whenever some someone comes to me complaining about something, always you know come to me with a solution and come to me with a problem. I want you to to think about it, um, look at it from different angles, and see where we can actually um, solve this problem. So, hope you enjoyed that. Love to see you at one of our live events very soon. Um, as I say, just go to startupu.co.uk forward slash events to come and join us in Bournemouth, London or Manchester. And for those of you who are in one of the other 89 countries that you can listen to this podcast in other than England, um, the UK, then um, please keep listening. Um, would love to hear what you think of the show. Alex Chisnell, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, and would love to get uh, to hear from you via our review and ratings um, on iTunes. So thank you very much and see you all again next week.
If you like this podcast and you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. You'll be able to see our upcoming events calendar for the UK. Pick up a ticket from as little as £10, which includes complimentary drinks and the opportunity to meet and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs, find a mentor or an investor. You'll also have the opportunity to meet our speakers and ask them your burning questions in person. Hope to see you there. If you're an entrepreneur looking to start or scale their business, then I'd love to help you. Being part of the Startup You community means we can help you in a number of ways. Simply go to Facebook and find Startup You Club through the different groups on there and join. We can help you in a number of different ways through daily inspiration and education, through to accessing funding, investment and mentoring. In fact, pretty much anything that you'll need on your startup journey. And if you've got a great story that you'd like to share, then I'd also love to hear from you. Just go to startupu.co.uk, click on the contact page and drop me a message. I'd also love to connect with you personally. It's at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn and Twitter and at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. And if you enjoyed listening to this particular episode, then please subscribe and I'd massively appreciate a review. All you need to do is click on the ratings and review tab on iTunes and leave us your thoughts on there. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be right. Action always beats intention. So just screw it. Just do it. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screw it, just do it to enter.